Hi there, it's Julia Louis-Dreyfus. You may know me from my podcast called Wiser Than Me, where I talk to older women and get their wisdom from the front lines of life. I was amazed by how many people told me our show made them look forward to getting older, which is why I'm here to talk about season two of the show. Sally Field, Billie Jean King, Beverly Johnson, Ina Garten, Bonnie Ray, just to name a few. All hail old women. Wiser Than Me season two is out now from Lemonada Media. Welcome to It's Lit, where all things literary live at the root. I'm Danielle Belton, the Roots Editor-in-Chief, here with the Managing Editor of The Glow-Up, Maisha Kai. Hey, y'all. Today, we're talking to author, activist, and fashion legend, Michaela Angela Davis. Michaela is the co-author of Mariah Carey's new memoir, The Meaning of Mariah Carey, which debuted at the top of the New York Times bestseller list in October. Prior to becoming a New York Times bestselling author, Michaela served as the founding fashion director for Vibe Magazine, editor-in-chief of Honey Magazine, and executive fashion and beauty editor at Essence Magazine. She has also been recognized as a phenomenal woman by the New York chapter of the National Association of the Advancement of Colored People and has been honored with the Trailblazer Award by the president of the Borough of Manhattan. You know, phenomenal woman is right because Michaela is truly a legend in her own right. And what she's done to bring Black beauty and culture to the forefront is incredible. Um, I actually have known her for, I think, 20 years now. I, I met her when I was just starting out in the industry. And she has been an inspiration and, you know, a mentor to many. And I think she was such a natural to tell Mariah's story as well. So the fact that they made this organic connection and made this really successful book, I think is is kind of, it's it's the magic of Christmas, I think. What do you think, Danielle? No, I think it's amazing. It's like <laughs> you have two icons coming together. Michaela, who's a Absolutely. icon of you know, Black lady journalism. <laughs> and Absolutely. She's an icon. <laughs> Mariah's an icon. You know, like Michaela, you know, is a legend in terms of the, the Black journalistic circles. And Mariah Carey is Mariah Carey. Like, she needs no I mean, introduction. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. And they're both blondes. I love that. Yes. Blonde black girls for the win. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you know, we could probably talk all day about Michaela, but instead, I think we should let the listeners hear for themselves. What do you think? I think they're going to love it. They're going to love it. <laughs> Let's get to it. Awesome. Kayla. Hi. Welcome to It's Lit. Oh. I feel like we're welcoming an old friend because you are such a well-established entity in Black media. And it's so exciting to have you join us. I'm you so know, happy to be, like, you don't know. <laughs> I'm so happy to be anywhere these days, but particularly here with you and around this moment. Like, it's a yes. moment. This is, it is a moment. And, and we're going to have uh, many a moments <laughs> during our chat. We're going to start off with the same moment we start off for all our chats. Is that we ask all our authors um, about what book for them, and it can be a book or books, that was a game changer, life-altering, blew your mind. What book was that for you? There, there are several. But what came to the top of my mind was 
the Asada autobiography because I was so young when I read it and I, and I just um, didn't know that people had, and that women and black women had lives that were so dynamic and dangerous and transformational. And in terms of fiction, probably Song of Solomon. Probably, I don't know. Like that, that's just what came to me because I, I just remember the moment and who I was while I was reading it. You know, I was that, you know, idealistic teenager. And I thought Asada was like the most revolutionary person I'd ever heard of. And, and there was something about her that felt urgent and relevant and now. So, yeah, but there's so many. Oh, that's yeah. It. That's, the, that's the answer today. You know, <laughs> we talk tomorrow, there's going to be a whole other one. Now, my books, my favorite things change with my mood. So I yes. totally get it. I totally get it. But, um, Kelly, you have an incredible list of accomplishments under your belt, including being the founding fashion editor at Vibe, a magazine I grew up reading and yes. loving. I used to, like, cut out the covers and the advertisements and put them on my wall. <laughs> like, that, I was, was, that was a goal. <laughs> I would literally would say you that succeeded. in a meeting like, Yes. Okay, good. good, good. <laughs> I was like, goal. those fashion pictures, I was cutting them out. <laughs> and I was putting them in art. I was making collages. So you succeeded, good. girl. And you were also the executive beauty and fashion editor at Essence, another magazine that uh, I grew up reading as well All and love yeah. dearly to this day. That's yes. right. That's right. It's, it's the Bible. <laughs> Right, it's like right next to it. And of course, you were editor-in-chief of the much-beloved Honey magazine. Mm, we did also love an acclaimed honey. stylist, fashion activist, a former CNN pundit. I mean, you've worked with some of the biggest names in entertainment, fashion, and media. I can go on and on and on, but what I'm we're most excited to talk to you about and why you were here today is that you are the co-author of Mariah Carey's memoir, The Meaning of Mariah Carey which was both critically acclaimed and an instant New York Times bestseller. Congratulations, girl. Oh, thank you. <laughs> That's the first time I've heard that term come out of someone else's mouth aside from mine, being the instant really? number one New York Times bestseller. And for it to come out of a Black woman's mouth just gave me chills. Oh, we because, were <laughs> you know, You know what? Because, I mean, that's that's a thing. You know, when you enter the list at number one, like, I acknowledge that that's a thing no matter what's going on in the world. Yes. Most people enter and climb, right? So there's that. But the week that we became number one or the week that we entered, it was the most competitive because of what was going on in the world. It was Ray, Bob Woodward's book, Rage, Mary Trump's book, uh, Michael Cohen. It was the week that the White House got the Rona. Right. <laughs> and even before that, it was just wall to wall Trump and Washington books that had a stronghold. And Isabel Wilkerson's cast was in there and it was climbing, but it, it wasn't even getting above rage. So Mariah and I literally were like talking to ourselves, to each other and going, you know, we did a good job. You know, whether we make it or not, we're proud of the work, you know, maybe we'll get on later in Klein because, you know, it's Christmas. And, and because we trusted the book was an actual book and not a trend for that week, we trusted that it could be the kind of book that would enter after the holiday or after the election or something. Like we literally just didn't have any expectation 
to even get on the list that week. So when, you know, what happens is when you make the list, the desk at the New York Times can contact your publisher and editor, and then they give you a call two or three hours later, it's published. So Ryan was in um, rehearsals or something, and I was back in Sedona and we got the call and we literally just screamed for a good 15 minutes and that girl don't you know she's supposed to scream when she's recording i know i'm like vocal rest (laughs) (laughs) the feels were bigger you know know, luther telling her like watch your voice but um so we were it was such a genuine triumph you know because listen even at mariah i mean it's kind of illustrated in the book even at mariah's level now she and I, we were still underestimated, like woeful, mm. like underestimated. There was not an expectation from, I mean, the publishers knew the book was good. They were very, Andy, when he first started reading read Andy Cohen, it's on his imprint, was very impressed with the writing when we, when I first started kind of turning in chapters, but there wasn't this expectation that we were going to be a number one bestseller. Like, cause you know, people act a certain way <laughs> when they expect you to win in a big way. They weren't acting that way. So it was, again, just a validation for her, her story, the layers of a life, um, because we always identified this as a memoir of her identity. Like it had to have a very specific lens in how we were going to tell this story. And so Mm. it still is moving to to hear what it did. And that literally look, when we looked at the list, and, you know, they had the photos of the, the little thumbnails of the covers and that we were like literally sitting on top of rage. So it was like meaning <laughs> sitting on top of rage. And this woman of color, like with their hair blowing, is sitting on top of that face of Trump. You know, like, so the metaphor of us climbing over that, that chatter, that um, the consumption that this administration has had on our lives, like the complete, you know, stealing of our imagination for so long for us to just, for that week to just get on top of it was, it was a triumph. And that, you know, that means everything. And once you get that number one thing, that's it. You have it forever. Like it's always going to be that, you know, like no one can, you can't take that. You know, so well, yeah, you know, it's so interesting. It's I mean, Mariah is used to having number ones, but you're right. This was a new say. genre. Number I was like, she's records. literally put out an album called the Number, <laughs> number One Albums, <laughs> Number One Book Now. Yeah, and then, this is different. You know, like to actually own your own narrative and to yeah. tell your story for someone who's been so written about and talked about and you know interviewed about and mused about. It's different you know she's so confident as a songwriter and a singer and a producer like in the studio yeah. she's a beast like it's not but this is different this is so revealing this is there's there's lots of you know childhood memories and trauma yeah that have never been discussed before some she'd forgotten because you know that's often how we survive as children or as you know, humans something can be so traumatic that we just black it out and are not ready to deal with it. And there were a couple of instances in this book that she was remembering in real time. You know, that was actually one of the reasons I was so excited you were writing, that you were co-writing this book with her, 
you know, having watched you over the years. And I think, you know, I think I first met you, I want to say around 1998, when I was just breaking into like the fashion and music industries. And so, you know, so much of this book also takes us back to that era. And that was like so exciting and fun for me. But, you know, the work that you've done in the years since is so much about kind of excavating these narratives of Black women in general. And, you know, one of Mariah's most famous quips is, I don't know her, right? You know, but when you're, even if you are not a person who's followed her career like that, you're not a member of Lambley per se, you know, you close this book really feeling like you do know her better. And I felt that you were somehow instrumental in that. So like, you know, legend has it that you, this started, this relationship between you two started when you lobbied to get her on the cover of Essence in April of 2005. And by the way, shout out to all the Aries in the house, myself included, because I did not know Mariah was an Aries until this yes. book. And I was like, yes. But how did that how did that early meeting, like 15 years ago, lead to you becoming her partner on this project? Well, you know, it was this story is like um it's filled with a trail of black women, right? Mm. Because Marvette Brito was her publicist at the time. Marvette called me, invited me to what I thought was a listening party for the emancipation, you know, and we all know what those industry listening parties are, right? Like all this press comes and you listen, you have some cocktails and some wieners and that's it. But I get to this, to to this, um, it was the hip factory and no one was there. I thought I was just being, you know, early or geek or maybe I got the time wrong or whatever. And Ellie Reed was sitting at a console, just him, amongst, you know, flowers and candles and, you know, he's, he's a perfectionist and he just started playing tracks. And I was like, what is going on? And like, you know, it was emancipation. So it was like, we belong together and joy ride. I love that album. Yeah. Oh my God. It was like, it was crazy. And so, and I was a fan, but I wasn't, I wasn't a lamb either. I just, I thought butterfly was amazing. I loved some of her other work, of course, but I wasn't like, but this album, well, the songs were just bangers, one after the other. And then when he played Fly Like a Bird, I was like, okay, this is the song that I can go into essence and say, this is a Black woman's album, right? Well, and, you know, also it was called Emancipation because I was challenged because Mariah had never been on the cover of Essence. I don't think she's ever really been covered that much in general. There mm-hmm. was this narrative not just in essence, but I think in the collective imagination that she did not identify as Black. And so with an album called Emancipation, and then, you know, having these very Black songs, though I contend musically, she's always been very, very Black. But um, so I go into the office and I literally say to the editor-in-chief, I'm not leaving until you agree to put her on the cover. Like, this is the one. But then Joan Morgan was the writer and I asked Joan, you know, would she do it? And she came in with all this research of interviews and clips where Mariah says she was black. Like it was like making a case. Like we were, it was like she was a lawyer in a way saying, look, this is, it's just people, like there's things that people don't want to hear because they want to have this conversation about you. And also, one of our internal mantras is like, we, that's why we wrote a whole last book. Like there's so many. <laughs> Stories that need a lot of context around why the narrative existed and who was able to frame her story for her. So back to when, after her fly like a bird, I went out into the hallway, I called my editor. This is an amazing album. When I walked back in the studio, Mariah was standing there. 
And there was this instant physical recognition, right? Like I'm this big blonde black girl <laughs> and we begin to talk and she's very funny and very warm, very glamorous. And then we'd like, she's like, want to listen to the rest of the album in the car. So we bumped the album in the car going oh, wow. downtown. Then we end up at some restaurant eating lots of grilled Brazilian meats. And I end up in the um, <laughs> Moroccan room and I'm there until dawn. And she's telling me just about her story and her family. And that was it. Like we, it was a trust. She trusted that I would understand the complexity of her family and of her makeup. And so I think that was it. Then we kind of sealed this friendship and this trust in identity. And, you know, over those 10 years, basically, we, you know, we were friendly, we were friends. If she had to do any remarks, like when she met Mandela, she would ask me, like, could you look over this? And, oh, wow. you know, little stuff like that. Yeah. So, but she, to her credit, she was, she was not willing to do this book with anyone else. Uh, She's like, if y'all want a book out of me, I'm going to do it with her. Because, you know, you, you probably know this many black celebrities who co-author with other people. Sometimes, you know, it's very ghosted <laughs> and yeah. often they're not other people of color. They're often not other black women writing stories about black women. And a lot of that is how the publishing houses, they have their crew of, you know, known writers and they crank out books. And Mariah wanted to emancipate the little girl in her. That was our thesis. So when I asked her, like, why do you want to write this book? And she said, to emancipate the little girl in me. And from that, I knew I could do it because it was going to be investment of time. I didn't know it was going to pack up my whole life. But there is a little child inside of everyone. You know, there, it, it became a universal, almost spiritual theme that this was something that everyone could relate to. There are children inside of adults who don't have a voice who ha or have been voiceless or who have lived through something and that this would be a testimony to that child and that and the ability for all of us to emancipate and care for a child that might not have been cared for by her family or parents or industry. That is so, so beautiful and powerful. You know, as journalists, Michaela, we're often tasked with translating others' words and feelings to the page. But a memoir is an entirely different undertaking from a craft perspective. What tools did you use to help translate an icon like Mariah Carey to the page? And how did that process unfold? So first, firstly, I don't identify as a journalist because I know the skill, the education, the craft of what that is. And I am not that. <laughs> um, and so I really want to respect actual journalists. And our process was, it was very intimate, meaning it was just the two of us for pretty much the whole process until I got to a first draft. And we would have conversations that I would record and then transcribe. She is a brilliant storyteller. However, before I got started, before I got really got started, because I was, I was panicked around structure, right? I was panicked around like, how do you, basically, how do you craft this narrative? Particularly because I knew what kind of storyteller she is. She's, she's great in person because she goes on these tangents and you go, you literally go on a joyride with her on a story. And it's great. But that's different than the page. 
So I started going back to look at her actual writing, which was her lyrics. So I was looking at the pure lyrics of songs, you know, devoid of melody. So I could just look at her words and her structure. And, you know, she's got a great vocabulary. And that became kind of like the framework of how I would structure this book. I wanted the book to feel like, like a, like an opus, like a long Mariah album. Right. And so that I began sort of studying the structure of her um, writing. And then there's just magic, you know, (laughs) then there's just, you know, you, you put down the stories and you start to see the narrative framework appear and you um, then you just kind of go in and shine it up and line it up a little bit better. But, you know, I was working with a prolific writer to start. Yeah. Um, it was just like the, the, the stories is we just filled out her lyrics. And that's why there's so many lyrics woven in throughout the story to, you know, kind of prove not just that this was her life, but that, that but she's a really prolific songwriter. the world knows Mariah is a diva she happily claims that title even if she didn't you know like I would mm-hmm. give it to her like she's <laughs> she, she's everything <laughs> but like a lot of great artists you know much of her story is grounded in some pretty serious trauma including emotional and physical abuse really intimate betrayals and ultimately a mental health crisis mm-hmm. um, even though Mariah seems larger than life I think a lot of us can relate but since she's so often been misunderstood, did you feel like you had to find a sweet spot in the storytelling, lest her narrative risk being dismissed as, and I totally hate this phrase, term, but it's a term, like a tragic mulatto tale? Yeah, listen, that term, like we have, one of the great things about working with Mariah is her very, a very astute sense of humor. So we have so many mulatto jokes between the two of us. And the thing is like, we get to, we get to say that, right? Like that's, we have permission to have a plethora of mulatto jokes because of the life, right? So we were very careful that, you know, that was a very real consideration, you know, that it's not like, oh, poor me, you know, even her songwriting, you know, there's a song where she's like, I'm aware of all I have. I know what this is but that's how do you tell that the story how do you emancipate that child how do you honor the truth without without doing that right without you know creating this like poor princess kind of and the answer was you have to tell the real truth you have to tell the whole truth because i think what comes off as that tragic you know the tragic mulatto is just the um is when you just touch the surface of nobody understood me or they treated me like this like if you just if you don't go all the way in it that's how it feels that's how it's received like okay all right you know but you're like in a mansion and dripping and you know whatever so it was really incumbent upon us to tell 
like to go in, like to go to the dark places and really talk about what happened. And it's not easy. Most people don't want to do that. They don't want to go all the way in and excavate all of it. But we, we, you know, we talked about, we joked about, it was actually one of the ways that we dealt with some of the more difficult stories, how we survived them was like, we would come out and have a joke. You know what I mean? Like we would have to like get out of it because one of the things that was so profound in doing in this process with her, she would go there. Like you could feel that she was emotionally in that shack. Like she was there. She was in that car with that pimp. She was like, she would go there and I could physically see her change and chemically feel her fear. And um, it took a lot of courage. And so I think when you tell the truth, you, you are free from that kind of criticism. Yeah. You know, know, you're trying to be careful. Don't do it. Like either, (laughs) either tell the whole story or don't do it. Agreed. Yeah, I agree. And, and I, 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 you know, I also hate that term, uh, but you know, I do love that you went there because, you know, it amazingly to me in the last year, we've seen people who I, I can't remember when this was, maybe it was when all I want for Christmas is you went, um, to number one again, right. Last year, which it probably will again this year, they were singing it after the election and, uh, which was great. I thought that was so cool that like they were singing all I want for Christmas is you, all we wanted for Christmas is a new president, but there are still people who did not know. There were people who didn't know Mar- Mariah Carey was biracial, right? <laughs> like, I thought that was crazy. I was like, how do you not know that? Because we know, you know, we'll be like, oh, no, we knew. We always knew. Uh, <laughs> so I, I love how she's tied in with this year's election as well, to be honest. I know. I thought, you know, on, on caution, with some about GTFO, when I first heard that, I was like, yo, that is the song for the campaign. Like, how about you just, Get the F out. Like, just go take your teens, be on your merry way. We have a whole silo at the root right now for that. We do. It's the, what is it? Is it GTFOH watch? Yeah. Yes. Trump watch. Trump watch. <laughs> Get out. We're just watching to see when he leaves. Just, and it was like that, because even though, you know, she did that great, um, she unearthed Save the Day, which was a song that she did in 2011, which, you know, it's great. It's the anthem. It's feel good. I'm like, to me, the song, is that one GTFO? Like, get yes. out of here! Like, yes. so yes, she gives us a song for all the. Ev- oh, there's a song for there's a Mariah Carey song for everything, like it's for every mood, every situation, yes. everything. <laughs> obsessed, everything. I am. I'm. I've been known to say to people, "Why are you so obsessed with me? Like, why?" Oh, that that is my jam. <laughs> I probably bumped it like a couple days ago. I love that song so much. I love its vocabulary. Like, yeah, I'm like, why am I stressing everything you out? about it? <laughs> everything about it. You know, that's the thing. I think what what also was so interesting in writing and this even before I started writing this book, and I say I wasn't a lamp, but I was frustrated that the the world at large, but the academy, the press never talked about Mariah in the critical way that she deserved as a musician, as a songwriter, as a producer, mm-hmm. right? And so that I was that was a goal for me in a way to be like, if Mariah were a man and had written all those hits, like we would all know. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Like if... You know, we would know, like, and, and it wouldn't have taken her this long to get into the Songwriters Hall of Fame. Like, how many hits do you have to make? 
How many mm. number ones do you have to do? Like how many records does one have to break? And so that was a real goal of mine because there's also something about a book that is in a different, the different industry, it's a different sensibility than music, right? Like you're not so fixated on the visual. It's the story. It's the narrative. And so we had this ability to strip away all the, I mean, we've got three decades of like history of what people think she is and what she looks like and all the dresses and all the skin she's shown and all that stuff to work against. But when writing a story, you get to strip away from that and just put out a narrative and people get to enter her through another portal that doesn't have the same baggage. And that was exciting for me because even when you're doing an article for Essence or Rolling Stone or Billboard or whatever, you're still driven by the music industry structure of a singer. And I mean, you know what that is if you're a woman. Like it's a, it's a, it's amazing that she survived. If she, you know, she contends that if she didn't, have agency over her own music maybe she did she wouldn't have i mean like it's destroyed women you know it has destroyed people but particularly women and particularly women of color and you know we had a very profound moment in the process when prince transitioned because that was the last of what she considered her contemporaries mm. like there are very few people that were in the air of where mariah was it was Whitney, Michael Jackson, and Prince. I mean, people of color, like right. Elton John. You know, there's white people up there. Right. But she was like, I'm the last one alive to tell my story. Everyone else, people are telling stories about Michael Jackson, about Whitney Houston, about Prince, but they didn't live to tell it. And Prince was in the process. Yeah. And part of Prince's process was he really wanted to talk about his childhood and music. And so it was just so, it was an incredibly profound moment. And thinking about all the other women who don't write their own material. And how do you survive that? She didn't have to, she was the hit maker. She was the one that was mm -hmm. writing the song. You know, they called her the franchise, right? That's what they called her at the label, the franchise. Yeah, the franchise. <laughs> and mm -hmm. they, she was hipper than ever. Like she knew who Mob Deep was. She knew yeah. that ODB would be amazing. She knew to choose bus to she like that was her. Mm -hmm. And that she's also never been really celebrated by hip hop community. She put mm -hmm. so many people on. She got so many people on main like in that crossover space just yeah. by being on her record. So that was a big motivation of my like she needs her record. Like y'all need to recognize. Don't get you're so distracted by the hair and the boobs that you don't see the work. I, I love that you say that. You know, and it's so interesting because obviously that was a huge, I did not expect to relate to this as much as I did. You know, like Mariah is a diva. She's an icon. But as a former recording artist and a singer songwriter, what you just said about women of color in the industry and the survival mechanisms that we have to put in place, like, I mean, I think the word is triggering, but it's, <laughs> it's true. It's so true. And, and, you know, and, and you do such a great job of helping to, really get her story out there in such a sensitive and compassionate 
but still really funny and endearing way. Like I walked away from this book, like I would hug Mariah Carey if she would let me. Like I love her. She'd be like, I don't know her, but that's fine. Uh, but you've helped tell Mariah's story she's now. She's very real though. Like, <laughs> she, seems you, like, she, like she seemed real in this book. Like, really real. <laughs> and she's so funny. And I mean, it's, the, I mean, I love that she seems to have a self-awareness about herself and a self-deprecating kind of sense of humor about it. I mean, not the deprecating part, because I mean, I think we all have some element of that. But, you know, I, before, you know, I don't want to, you know, I love that you helped her tell her story, but I, I think we also need to talk about your story because to me, as somebody who's watched you over the last couple of decades, you know, you really embody what it means to be a fully realized creative. And I've always admired your ability to pivot and find bridges between these kind of like parallel industries. And I think that's really both unique and aspirational for a lot of people. And I wanted to give you a, a kind of, I wanted to take a moment to kind of talk about that because like, like Mariah and, and me, um, you actually started out as a performer, correct? Like you, you were an actress in the beginning, I believe. Yeah. And a dancer, gosh, right? Like two years. Yeah. <laughs> like two years. So did you, did you envision expanding into these different creative mediums and, and, and what advice would you give to those, you know, you're a mentor, you're a mom, you know, what advice would you give to those seeking a creative life? You know, it's so interesting that you say that, that you bring that up because when I was younger, I didn't think that I was going to do anything else, but be an actress. I went to Duke Ellington school, of the arts in DC, and I was so beautifully prepared because of the education that I got because of the trust and the love that was poured into me by my teachers, by my community. I really didn't think I would be anything other than an actress and an artist. However, also growing up in Washington, D.C., when it was Chocolate City, that environment also activated me in a way that, I mean, politics and the notion of Black liberation was kind of in us, in our blood. So there, I always had a parallel kind of relationship with politics. and. You know, being a Black artist is political. Being a Black woman is political, you know. And so when I got to New York to train and went to school, and I was also very involved in fashion, I guess the point is, is that there are several passion points in me. And I was courageous or crazy enough to, tr to, to pursue them when they, when they um, urged at me, you know. And particularly as a child, you you think about the things that consumed you, like, what were they, you know, was it food or was it art? Was it, you know, science, like these things that are kind of embedded in you that you were pro that you're kind of wired up to have. And I, and I really kind of, I really want to attribute this to my education at Duke Ellington, that I was told as a young person that that is valid, that thing that is urging you, that is real. And that passion thing can become what you do and who you are. So if it's politics and fashion and theater, I wasn't told to choose one. So the fact that at different times in my career, different parts of this thing was coming up and now, you know, being a grown ass woman, they're kind of all working together. My, you know, my love for joy, my love for justice, um, my love for style and black women centering black women. I think also what was really important, and this was a great piece of advice from my mentor, Susan Taylor. Susan taught me how to be an editor. She, at essence, loved her audience, you know, and the business. And you could tell because she was a beast. She taught me to love Black women first. And then no matter what I do, whether it's a magazine or a show or a podcast or 
whatever. That's that's my that's my centering. My orientation is to serve black women and girls, right? And then everyone else comes along, but that's my that's the core. And so when you know who you're serving and you know to trust those urgings and those passions inside you as real things and they keep coming. That's the good part. Like even, you know, I'm in my fifties, my daughter's about to turn 30 years old. New ones are still coming, you know, and they will continue as long as I expect them, you know, and I really recommend giving yourself time to feel those yearnings that I'm talking about, but to like understand them as real yearnings and real information that's coming to you from a very sort of higher place. Yeah. And I'm excited about what's ahead. Like, I'm just so ready for people to like get it together so we can get on the, so the world can come back and we can, you know, get to work. And this election has, I think, finally made it clear how dope, like how black women will save you and that we want our things. Like we, okay, we're, we're done now. We're done now doing all the labor and not getting our things. So I'm ready for like Madam Vice President, get in there and all of us who are doing things to go get our bags, get our con like get it. Like it's yes. time to get it. Yes. This is the it's time to get it, right? So <laughs> I absolutely completely agree. Absolutely. Completely agree. You know, Michaela, like you talked about putting black women first and serving black women and I, I don't want to speak on behalf of both myself and Maisha, but I'm going to right now. We are two <laughs> Black women who feel like you have, you have definitely served us. Absolutely. You've been inspirational. Oh, you yes, have been influential. Absolutely. You've been instrumental. All the eyes. Absolutely. All of them. <laughs> I, told, I told Michaela the last time I saw her, I was like, you don't know this, but you're my mentor. <laughs> and I, she laughed and I was like, but that's true though. <laughs> so. you're, you're in our spirit. I'll take that. I'll take that. I mean, Listen, it's a, it is it is the honor and privilege of my life. You know, like oh. where else would I want to be? No, oh, I same. Who Just, else I'm, would I'm, I want to be? <laughs> right? Like, how dope yeah. are we? And finally, like I've always known and believed it. And if it's just taking everybody else, you know, whatever. You know, we'll let you in. <laughs> you, you may be late at the party, right. but we'll let you in. But I, what I love now is just that it, it won't to the be back so seat, sacrificial. <laughs> you know yes. what I mean? Like we don't have to labor with no reward anymore. Yes. You know, like correct. we get to. That's that's what's exciting about this time and this generation and your generation and the generation behind you. Like we're filling in that like gap of. You know, it's not enough just to have be an icon later, you know, and someone talk about you. And, and that's one of the things that's so great about Mariah is like, she's living her life now. Like she, yes. she survived it, you know, yep. and she wrote a Christmas classic and she lives in a great house and she has beautiful kids. Like she didn't have a tragic end, you know, like some of us have been, some of us made it and more of us will. Thank you so much for joining us on It's Lit. It was so amazing oh, to have you. It was you. lit. It was lit. <laughs> Yay. Oh, thank you. I appreciate y'all so much. Oh, we appreciate you. Thank you. We appreciate you every day. Thank you.
The Root Presents It's Lit is produced by myself, Maisha Kai, and Michaela Heck. Our sound engineer is Ryan Allen. If you like the show and want to help us out, please give us a rating on Apple Podcasts. Spread the word. And if you have any thoughts or feedback, you can find me on Twitter at Black Snob or on Instagram at Belton Danielle. And you can find me at Maisha on Twitter. That's M-A-I-Y-S-H-A and at Maisha Kai on Instagram. And before we go, we always like to talk a bit about what we're currently reading. Maisha, what are you reading these days? You know, I just got my hands on this really uh, cool little book by Adrienne Marie Brown. Uh, it's called We Will Not Cancel Us and Other Trans- Other Dreams Excuse me, of Transformative Justice. And I'm just trying to dig into it. It's, I mean, when I say it's a pocket-sized edition, that is not an understatement. But it's so full of, of gems about call-out culture and the the harms of, of what we've kind of become accustomed to in uh, social media and in and, and, and I think Black discourse in particular. I mean, you know, there are definitely things we need to reject, but there's also, um, I think this wholesale rejection of all things we don't agree with is dangerous. So I'm, I'm, this book has been really interesting to me. And I think, you know, when we talk about somebody like Mariah Carey even, you know, her story, I think, is so interesting in terms of somebody who, you know, has the butterfly as her motif, but kind of reemerges from that cocoon again and again, which I deeply relate to in my own life. What are you reading? You know, I've been reading a lot of books about writing because, you know, as you know, I'm working on a book right now. So, you know, Ray Bradbury wrote a great book on how to write. Stephen King has written a book on writing. Oh, yeah. Um, Mm -hmm. There's so many great Joseph Campbell that has, you know, the hero's journey, which I've been reading, uh, which is like a dense, very thick. I know. I was like, you have to do that in digestible chunks. Like, I'm just like, <laughs> I haven't read a book this hard since like college, you know? You got this. You got this. I got, I'm using muscles you. I haven't used, <laughs> brain muscles that haven't been used in a decade or more. <laughs> but we're so excited to see what comes out of it. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> well, that's it for us this week. Thank you so much for listening and we'll see you next week. Until then, keep it lit.